Hello everyone, and welcome to the seventh episode of the COVID-19 Internship. On today's episode, you'll get to hear my conversation with Michelle McKelvey, an agency partner at Facebook. And this is how our conversation went. So I'll just get started so we can get right into it. I'm going to start with the past and your previous experiences. So what has been your favorite first internship or job experience and why? Oh my goodness. Hi guys, first of all. <laughs> podcast for, for context for you guys I was just telling Rebecca how honored and inspired I am about the work that she's doing I think that this this program and and the content hopefully will be really helpful for all of you guys out there in this really unique time in terms of my my career and my first internship and job my first internship was actually at the Ritz Carlton in Boston Massachusetts I was 19 I was an unpaid intern and I'll never forget I was with nine other unpaid interns. We were going through training and we're sitting there and we do one of those icebreakers. And for those people, I'm not a big icebreaker fan. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a big fan of icebreakers, but we go around and we say, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite beverage? And they say, you know, oh, someone says fish or steak. And I'm like, oh, mine's a caramel apple spice latte from Starbucks and peppermint ice cream. So we go on a tour. This is about three hours of, of touring. We get back, it's noon. And sitting at my space is a freshly made caramel apple spice latte and freshly made peppermint ice cream. And it was the director of client service at the Ritz Carlton. And the Ritz Carlton, she said, this is the definition of client service is understanding what the client wants before they even know they want it. And so that's when, when, when I think about my first internship experience, that definitely came to mind because I fell in love with sales then. I fell in love with the magic that you can create for someone. I fell in love with understanding the customer. I became obsessed with clients. And that was really where I started my my sales journey until now. That's so amazing that they did that. That's really cool. Um, Mm. And then from that experience, what would you say were some valuable lessons that you learned? Oh my goodness. I think, you know, I think in today's, in today's world, we are in, and I'm not going to use unprecedented times because the amount of times I've heard that is at nauseum. I, one of the things that I learned during that time was resilience. And I think that it's really important as young women and men of the next generation for us to learn resilience. And the, the quickest way to do that is to go through, unfortunately, some really hard things. And so what I learned from interning at the Ritz Carlton was we came across difficult guests we have incredibly high standards for the brand. So we would have to anticipate needs of people that we don't know. We would have to read into different cues when you meet with a guest or when you talk with them. And then ultimately we would have to face really hard conversations when we didn't deliver to the level of service that, that we had put out for ourselves. And so as I think about that experience and then now fast forward to, I'm now coming up on my third, third year at Facebook, we, are going through a really tough time right now as a brand, as a country, as a company. And I think that resilience that I learned when I was 19 at the Ritz-Carlton, but also when I graduated, I was an admin at Marriott and I made $11 an hour. And my counterparts at Babson upon graduation literally were making 70, 80, $90,000 out of college. And I was barely making 25. And so I, while an admin role wasn't an incredible role for someone that had graduated from college, I actually learned the most from that role because 
being in a service oriented environment and quite honestly, not jumping out of the gates and getting paid an incredible amount, you learn the value of a dollar. You learn when you're, which I was living in a $400 per month apartment in East Boston. For those of you from Boston, East Boston is not a nice town. At least when I was there, it wasn't. And you learn when you're in a beautiful apartment or when you've, you've made financial success, you learn and understand the value of that dollar. And so I think resilience, as I think about the time that I've been through, it really is through those roles of being an admin at Marriott for a year and a half, um, also being an unpaid intern at the Ritz-Carlton, where I learned how to make ends meet, where I learned the value of the dollar, and ultimately how I learned how to deal with hard conversations. So that's, that's I think, the biggest piece of advice and thing that I learned in those experiences and have carried with me through my career. And kind of going into that as well, you kind of were mentioning some of the hardest parts of that experience. I was wondering if you learned anything from like those very hard experiences that you carry with you today into what you do. Oh my gosh. It's every day, you know, I mean, every day, Rebecca, I think that I have learned it throughout my career after not to transition to the personal side, but I think it's actually very important because a lot of times as women, we try to put on, and men as well, we put on this persona of ourselves at work. In all honesty, that doesn't sometimes match who we are personally. And I'm grateful at Facebook because luckily we celebrate and encourage people to have the same person show up at work that shows up in your home. And however, I think the toughest times and the the things where I've learned the most have been through my personal experiences. And so I am very open about this. When I was 19, I was pregnant and I had an abortion when I was 19. And I think it's really important to say that because that really was the foundation for how I think about and deeply believe in women's rights, in our choice, and ultimately in our speech. And I think when us as women shy away from the things that we've been through, the battle scars that we've been through, that doesn't give the context to who we are today, to people that might not know us. And so on top of that, I was severely bullied in middle school. I was never the prettiest girl in class. I was never um, the popular girl. On the contrary, I was overweight and was a late bloomer, as my, my parents will say. And I think, however, when you go through really hard things like that at a young age, it builds the resilience I just talked about, but it also helps you when you are trying to connect with people and it allows you to connect with people on a different level. And so whenever women I mentor come to me and they're like, I'm going through this hard thing. I, I don't have a job right now. I don't know where the future holds. There is an incredible amount of uncertainty right now. I go back to what an opportunity it is for you to one, have to understand how to build resilience in this time to really focus on what path you're on. A lot of people pre-COVID were on a path that they had to be on, but now you get the opportunity to take a step back and say, okay, what do I want to do? How can I build for this and through this? And so as I think about my abortion, as I think about when I was bullied and people, I feel like as women, we don't talk enough about this because we are afraid to be judged. We're afraid that we will be less than because we made a decision or because someone spoke illy about us. But in actuality, that's our biggest strength. And I think if we can be more open about that, if we can be more vulnerable and if we can stand in our truth, 
we will and can learn more from others, have richer dialogues. And ultimately, in your professional career, the reason why I've been successful at Facebook has been because I am very open with my clients about my journey and my story, and it humanizes us. And we're not putting on this layer that, quite honestly, is just a protection layer from the outside world. So that's what I would encourage women to do is the sooner that you can understand and own your past, the stronger and deeper you can connect with people and ultimately the stronger that you can understand yourself. So I very, very much so believe in going through hard things has made me who I am and um, has gotten me to where I am. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about this podcast from the range of people I've been interviewing. It really humanizes the people for me. It's not just this crazy position or something that you're like, maybe I'll get there or maybe I won't. It's like, it's possible. Mm -hmm. These people are humans and they go through things and it's just all of that. Yeah, because sometimes I know at least in GWIB, we have our position sometimes freshmen are like, oh my God, we can't talk to them because it's like this barrier. But in reality, it's like, no, we want to talk to you and socialize with you. Like that's the whole point. So being able to like humanize it is so important. And if I can build on that, I think that we as women specifically judge ourselves and are ourselves harshest critics. As I think about my career, I have had and been lucky to have a lot of male allies in this space. On the other end, I have also been incredibly lucky to have, and I say lucky intentionally, I've been lucky to face the judgment and criticism of other women that intentionally were territorial or did not want to see other women be successful. And why I say I'm lucky is this, when you have gone through something like that, and when you see what you don't believe women should be or act, it then becomes very clear around how you can be the best advocate and ally for other women. And the judgment that we place on ourselves as women, whether it's in our bodies whether it's within our professional accomplishments, whether it's within our GPA, limits us. And I think that if I, if I think about my career, I, had, I graduated from Babson with a 2.86 GPA. And previously I thought it was a 2.7, but I recently requested my transcript from Babson and they were like, no, nope, it wasn't a 2.7, it was a 2.6. <laughs> so you're damn right that I thought coming out of college, I'm never going to work for Google. I'm never going to work for Facebook. I judged myself severely because I thought I'm not good enough because of this number. We are not a number and you are not defined by your GPA in your college career, by in, in your career. Absolutely. It's important, but it's not the only important thing. And so I would challenge women on this podcast to think about who is holding you back? Is it really the, the outsider or is it yourself? And why not? My story, which I told at GWIB, which is a long story of how I got to Google, but the shortened version is that I was dating a guy named Brett. He was checked all the boxes. He was super, super nice. And I'm sure for people on the call, you can appreciate this. He, my parents loved him. <laughs> He looks good on paper. I was 26. You know, I was you know, about that time to, to think about what marriage looks like. And the reality was I came home from, I was working at Marriott. I came home from Marriott. We're sitting together. Brett's on my left. I have a glass of red wine on my right. I'm watching the Simpsons. Lido's pizza's in front of me. And I had this moment of, I don't like any of these things, unfortunately, including Brett. And so I, I ultimately ended up that night. I had a couple of glasses, of, you know, red wine, maybe the whole bottle, but who's asking? 
And I fly to Google. And the next day I got a call from a recruiter and then two months later ended up moving out, sold all my things and moved to California with one backpack and a dream. And so I think that going back to your, your thought around judgment and how women, we ultimately hold ourselves back in so many ways. And, and I think it's really important for us to ask ourselves the question of why not apply to that job? Why not apply to a McKinsey if you have a 2.9 GPA? Why not apply to Google? Why not apply to Facebook? Why not apply to these companies that potentially will be reaches for you? Why not? What is the worst that could happen? Why not reach out to a senior or an alumni? Okay, they don't respond to you. Great, you move on. And so I think as women, we need to start asking ourselves that question of why not um, versus why. Yeah, 100%. And you're kind of going into it now, but uh, how would you say maybe your previous experiences and obviously that moment of, I don't like anything, helped you figure out maybe what industry, obviously now you're kind of in tech social media space um, that you wanted to become a part of. I feel like like sometimes I'm in government. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'm in election integrity. (laughs) Who knows what industry I'm in technology. Yeah. Like uh, marketing, advertising. Everything. um, There's always a huge question mark, I think, in times like this of what, uh, what, what industry we're in. But I think that the the moment I always knew in college that I liked people. I loved people. I loved I loved taking sales classes. I love colors. I was a person who I learned very visually. Mm-hmm. And so everything has to be color coordinated. That's how things resonate with me. So I learned luckily at Babson that marketing and um, understanding branding, building brands, thinking about brands, that was always my passion. Through the Ritz-Carlton, I understood that I loved sales. And then when I was an admin at Marriott, I uncovered that I absolutely loved travel and hospitality. And so as I was at Marriott for three years, I, I was an admin for a year and a half. Then one of my women mentors, Kesset Evans, she was to this day my, my first female mentor that I looked up to. Um, she would walk around the office in these amazing black dresses, wear Christian Louboutin heels, <laughs> full set of makeup on while she's nine months pregnant. I mean, this was Kesset Evans. I mean, that, so so she was one of my my mentors. She ended up hiring me as the youngest sales executive at Marriott. And as a sales executive at Marriott, that was my first real sales job where I had to go and find out for different companies, where are they staying? Are they holding their holiday party at the Hilton? Are they holding their mm-hmm. their corporate room nights at Starwood Properties? At the time, we hadn't merged together. Find those key points of contact, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, and pitch them on why Marriott was a better brand and why we had a better portfolio of hotel properties. And so that was where I found my true love of sales. What I loved most about sales was that it cut out the judgment. If you hit your numbers, you hit your numbers. If you're a top performer, you're a top performer and it doesn't matter. And now sales has evolved, but at the time it didn't matter how you got there was if you produced, you produced and you were promoted and were rewarded for that. And I liked that black and whiteness. I also liked that when I got back a signed contract for a big client, I loved that feeling. I loved that feeling of I am creating an option and an opportunity for someone and showing someone something, whether it's a property or whether it's a a catering menu that they potentially would have never seen or experienced if I didn't show it to them. And so, and so I think that that's 
where I found my love of, of sales. And that's what got me ultimately to Google. I was hired as, again, the youngest new business account executive that Google had ever hired. Nevertheless, someone that had, they had never hired someone within MBS that had a hospitality background. So I found a, a different layer of sales at Google. We weren't contract-based and we continued to thrive in a market that was really tough in 2016. We were just getting, you know, advertising was coming off the ground, but we were responsible for finding clients like SoulCycle, for example, that hadn't started to advertise on Google, pitch them, get the, them to commit, and then work with them for a few months until they graduated. So I think a culmination of the different types of sales experiences I had led me to Facebook, which is ultimately now, I'm not in the business of our products. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting, it's an interesting debate I have with a lot of my colleagues. I don't view my job right now as selling the Facebook products. The product sells itself. The advertising solutions we have absolutely sell ourselves. I'm in the business of people and I'm in the business of making sure that our clients and agencies feel like they absolutely can trust Facebook, that we are the best option for them in terms of advertising. And ultimately we care about them. And you can demonstrate that in a bunch of different ways, but that is how I think about my role. And I have loved sales my entire career, but I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have had the intuition when I was younger to know that this is what I'm good at, but ultimately more important, what I'm not good at. Okay. I guarantee you no podcast people do not <laughs> ask me to solve a math problem right now. Like do not ask me to solve geometrical equations or, you know, no, that's not my strong suit. And I think as women and men, it's really important for us to own what we're really good at, but even more importantly, what we're not good at and find the path for you that suits what you're good at and what you find joy in and be really honest with yourself around what you're not good at. And don't try to massage that into something that, you know, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And I think doubling down on your strengths is really, really important in your career and not trying to be something that you're not through focusing on getting better at something that ultimately you don't enjoy or potentially won't be good at. Full stop. A hundred percent. And kind of transitioning more towards, I guess, to today, what mm -hmm. would you say was a favorite project that you worked on in an old job, not in the position you are right now, and then a favorite project that you're working on right now in your current position? Oh, goodness, Lord. I mean, <laughs> about election integrity or <laughs> Sure. you know, the future of advertising, you know, I think my, so I, I luckily, um, I was, I was very fortunate to have just accepted a new role at Facebook. So for the past three years, I've been a partner manager in our Austin office, focusing on our independent agencies and managing relationships there. I most recently was accepted as an agency partner, leading up our relationship for WPP, um, specifically for media common mind share within the UK. And my biggest project so far, or my favorite, I think, has been helping our advertisers understand the good that Facebook is doing in the world, agnostic of their spend. And my favorite project, quite honestly, has been taking agencies, Adobe Promote is an example of, of one of the agencies I used to work on, um, taking an agency that absolutely likes Facebook and, and advertised with us, one of our you know top advertisers, but ultimately growing that relationship and growing in tandem their advertising spend on Facebook, but ultimately finding ways to get and build relationships and learn from C-levels 
in their, their space. And I talk about him a lot. He'll probably laugh when I send him this <laughs> podcast, but um, Mike Block, who's the COO of W Promote, if you guys don't know W Promote um, or are looking for someone who is incredibly inspirational, who is everything that a COO should be, um, who is kind-hearted, who balances a team incredibly well, who is ethical, who is an incredible partner to us, who asks really tough questions. He is someone who I have looked up to very deeply the past three years. And one of the things and projects I had was, how do I make him proud? How do I make him proud to work with Facebook? How can I put and provide opportunity for his team to think, wow, Facebook is helping us with employee retention. They're helping us with pride and social. They're helping us with diversity and inclusion. They're helping us with thinking about and crafting election integrity and new points of view and keeping us in the loop on how we're thinking about those topics. That was a favorite project of mine, um, specifically because I love the W Promote team and, and that agency is phenomenal. But I think the overall project of how do you take someone that likes you mm -hmm. or a company that likes you and turning that into this incredible relationship where I feel like Facebook can't live without W Promote. I feel like W Promote is integral in the next iteration of, of how we think about agency development. That I think was my, my favorite project. Um, and then I think lastly was when I met with Cheryl Sandberg. Um, Cheryl Sandberg has always been a, a great mentor of mine from afar. I really believe that you don't need to have actually met a mentor or had a conversation with them in person, but over YouTube videos and whatnot, I, I've, I've just been obsessed with how Cheryl has run our company and, and how she's led our teams in these times. And I was lucky enough to be featured on our Q1 and Q2 earnings call for the work that I've done. Um, I sent her over a note and then I ended up meeting with her, supposed to be 10 minutes and ended up being 55, <laughs> and who's counting. Right. Um, and, and that was my project, right? I mean, my project was how do I get the strength and the resilience and the, um, quite frankly, guts to reach out to the CEO of our company. I mean, that's petrifying. I mean, I rewrote and wrote this email many times, but I think it goes back to the point, Rebecca, that we were talking about earlier, which is we always ask ourselves as women, oh gosh, why me? Why me? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. We need to start asking ourselves, why not? Why should I not email Cheryl Sandberg? Like, why should I not go for... Google or Facebook. And if you take away anything podcast crew, it is ask yourself why not and be unapologetic about it. And yeah. that was a, a favorite project of mine that, that eventually paid off. And kind of moving into COVID versus before and after, how would you say COVID has affected the way that you've been finding ways to stay motivated and inspired? Because I know before it's probably like you go to the office, you see people, but now it's obviously a little different because that's not a thing anymore. So how do you stay motivated and inspired? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think that we're all feeling this. First of all, I, I want to recognize that we all have very different ways of dealing with tough things. And I think that what I've seen on social, what I've seen on a couple of different platforms, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's on additional mediums, whether it's on Google, whether it's on newspapers, et cetera, is that there's a lot of judgment right now around how people should be grieving or should be doing X, Y, and Z. I should be working out more. You should be eating healthier than ever. You should be more productive than yeah. ever. You should be the best mom. There's a lot of should be's right now. And so I want to caveat my response with I think that everyone needs to do what's best for 
themselves and have grace with themselves and how they are dealing with COVID and how ultimately we are all deeply grieving for the life and the opportunity and the space that we had pre-COVID. So I want to start there when mm-hmm. we need to allow ourselves to grieve and we need to allow ourselves to eat the extra cookie, to, you know, I mean, have the extra glass of wine, to have grace with ourselves and meet us, us where we are right now. So that is my thought. How I'm personally dealing with it though, is I think that we go through phases. I think that it's really important in COVID for me to identify when I feel like I'm on the verge of breaking down or when I'm about to have a power outage. Mm -hmm. I think that's number one. I think number two is I have had to be really diligent about keeping a routine. So getting up, having a cup of coffee, going for a walk, and then getting into my work. I think number three, I have had to be really intentional about who I am letting into my space, not physical space, but who I'm letting into my mental space. And I mean this very seriously. It's very easy for people now to feel like they can call you at all times. They know that you're available. They know that you are here. It's really important though, I think for people to do an audit of what conversations are giving you joy and helping you become more resilient versus the conversations that are quite frankly, bringing you down and not allowing you to be as energetic as possible. And I think ruthlessly prioritizing those conversations are really important. So I have, I've taken an audit of which of my friends, which of my colleagues, which of my clients are bringing me light and joy and inspiration during this time. And quite frankly, cutting out the people that are not. And so that's number four, I think. And I just like to call out another elephant in the room, not only with COVID, but with George Floyd. Of course. It has been, I think the, as a white woman, for those of you that don't know this on the call about me, I have had, and I think we all have had a rude awakening for how we could have been better allies and shown up much stronger in the past. And honestly, I grew up in Virginia. I grew up in a country club environment. I grew up very privileged. My parents paid for my school. My parents been together for 44 years. I work at Facebook. I've had a lot of economic, racial, and financial privilege. And I think we are all taking a deep audit and reflection of who we are going to be and continue to be as an ally moving forward. And I think our entire society right now has lifted, the curtain has been lifted for white people. And for black people, they will argue, uh, my my best friend, Sadia, a few weeks ago, she said, Michelle, this has been happening for 10 years. There isn't a curtain lifted. This has been happening. And so I feel like there has been, not only with COVID, this intense reflection, but with George Floyd as well, we as a society need to continue to reflect and act coming out of this because the protests will stop. I went to the protests in Austin. I've been very vocal on social. I've been very vocal with my friends and family and quite honestly have lost friendships to people not understanding that we need to have police reform, not understanding that racial injustice exists in the world. So I had to absolutely had to have those tough conversations, but I really do feel like this COVID situation has allowed us to get really focused on how can we change? How can we be better as a society? And ultimately coming out of this, how can we continue to have the conversation going and not have it just be a weekend news story or a weekend protest where you post some Instagram photos and then ultimately people forget about it the next week. So that is what I think. And that is what I think COVID has afforded us the opportunity to do that. 
And I think I want to end on this in terms of COVID. I think that we all have gone through deeper reflection. I am hoping that we're optimizing for coming out of this stronger and better and more awake around who we want to be, who we want to become, and ultimately where we want to spend our time. I have given up a lot over the past seven years. I'm turning 30 this year, actually in three days, my goodness. Uh, I'm turning 30 this year, right? So I have done a lot of thinking about how the past eight years of my life have absolutely been more indexed on my career. And I prioritize that first coming out of COVID, coming out of this. What does it look like if I spent more time dating, God forbid, or <laughs> what if I, you know, what if I spent more time on the apps and actually messaged guys on Bumble without matching and then getting bored and, and continuing to move on? So I think that it's actually very important. Um, it's an important time for, for us. I think there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of pain. There is a lot of moments that are hard for all of us, but I think we need to have ourselves a lot of grace. We need to give ourselves a lot of grace. And ultimately, do not let this go to waste and do not come out of this the same person that you were because then I really do think that this will all be for nothing. Yeah, I had a conversation with someone for another podcast episode and we were talking about how COVID started putting people first. It was the businesses all like people first. We care about our employees, doing everything we can to put people first. And then obviously the Black Lives Matter movement was like, if you are doing those changes, then do them Mm -hmm. fully. Don't just yeah. sit there and be like, yeah, yeah, we're doing it. It's like, accept them, apply them, make change. Don't just say you're going to do it, but actually yeah. push it through everything that you do. And I think it's a really important point because I think in our society, we tend to have tiny object syndrome where, and even if you look in the media, whether it's CNN, Fox News, we get very fixated on a story. And then sometimes we don't follow up as a society on that story. And so I very deeply believe that this, hopefully is different. This feels different. It feels like the fabric of our society hopefully is changing. I, you know, will be honest. I think we have not seen the darkest America yet if all four officers aren't charged and if Trump is our president in a year. So I think that until then, there will be this dark cloud from the more liberal um, base that is very much so focused on how do we get through this election? And then ultimately, how do we get through the George Floyd trial? Because I'm hoping that it is not just a month of this. And it's not just George Floyd, it's Breonna Taylor, it's Ahmaud Arbery, it's now Elijah McCain. I mean, there are countless examples and unfortunately extensions of the conversation in those people that need to get closure and need to be brought to justice. And so I I don't feel like our country is going to be in a good place until after the election. I think that arguably this election is the most important of our lifetime, certainly mine. And I think it has awakened us to get involved more at the local level to understand who these police officers are. And then ultimately making sure that we're having conversations though with the opposite side. I like to your, to your point, Rebecca, I read CNN and probably watch too much CNN every day, but I counter that with reading BBC, reading and watching Fox news I can't promise you guys that I'm in a good mental space (laughs) after I watch Fox News, but I think it's important at least to understand the other side of the issue and not be consumed with one side. And I think when you have that, it then allows for a really productive conversation with people that potentially don't believe in the same values as you, that potentially don't see the same values. I mean, I, as you guys just heard, I had an abortion when I was 19 
a lot of my friends are very pro-life. And so I think it's important for me to understand, even as personal of an issue as that is, the arguments against abortion, to have a productive conversation with them and be open to hearing what those are. Even if you're not agreeing, it's important for us to start to have this dialogue and slowly chip away and ultimately the divide in this country. Yeah, I always say at the end of the day, I'm a people first type of person. Everyone Mm -hmm. should have the same feeling when they walk on the street, the same feeling when they apply for a job, and the same feeling when they go to bed at night. And that's like, at the end, what I stand for. Because if my friend who's gay can't have that experience, that like, in turn hurts me because that is someone I spend my time with. Mm -hmm. So similar with my friends who are obviously persons of color or are transgender. It's like, at the end of the day, people should just feel good for being who they are, no matter mm-hmm. where that extends. In general, it's it should be people first, which is what we're doing through now, so. Absolutely, and I think it's very important. It's interesting, I was reading an article the other day about how in Texas specifically, there was a group of conservatives. Um, I'm in Austin, Texas right now. You know, there was a group of, of conservative Um, folks that went to a town hall meeting and they were visceral about wearing a mask. And it's interesting that those same conservatives also will be the first ones to tell women what we should or shouldn't do with our bodies. And so I think it's really important for us to not, one, judge people, which I struggle with. Let me be very clear. Like, I struggle with people who have voted for President Trump. I genuinely, morally, ethically, spiritually, I mean, I struggle with that. However, I think it's one important to admit that, but two, to understand why they voted, why they are the way they are, what their backstory is. And then on the flip side, when you are in your career and you are working for companies that are bigger or that do have different personalities to navigate, if you work with someone that you don't agree with or like, taking the time to understand and ask the why. Why do you feel a certain way about this project? Why do you feel this certain way about this this, this next chapter of Facebook, et cetera, I think is really important. And I don't, I think a lot of the times we shut off the conversation too soon and we don't get into the root of why people believe or are the way they are. And so cannot agree more. Yeah. Cannot agree more. Um, so I'll go into the present. Obviously we're talking about what's going on right now. So how has COVID-19 and everything else that's been happening in society today affected you and the way that you do your job? Mm, Oh, goodness. The short answer of this is that I I accepted this new agency partner role for London in February. I thought I was going to move to London in May. That did not happen because of COVID. And now my lease is ending in July. And it's a question mark right now of when I'm going to move to London. It's a question mark of what will the world look like in the UK being an American There's another question, which is, what is the future of digital advertising right now? You know, currently, for those of you listening to this in real time, we're we're recording this on June 30th, which is literally the thick of the Facebook boycott. We're having a lot of advertisers that are boycotting our platform because of hate speech and because of misinformation on our platform. And so I think right now, if I'm being vulnerable, there's a, a huge question mark, right, of what the future of digital advertising will be. And also there's a rebirth, I think, in terms of the standards that we're placing on ourselves for making sure that hate and misinformation does not exist on our platform. And so it's not a new conversation for us, 
we've been having this and working on this for years, but I think given the most recent events and given the current call from the NAACP and other civil rights groups to boycott our platform, it obviously is, um, is very much so top of mind now. So I think in terms of how COVID's affected me, it's affected my move to another country. Um, it's affected how I've thought about what the next iteration of my role looks like. And I think it's caused a lot of question marks around where the future of our world is going. I think it's also caused a lot of question marks for me around, you know, what does a world post-COVID look like? Am I going to be able to potentially have the experience I had in London? No, probably not, at least for the foreseeable future. But I think what it more importantly has brought to life is the importance of family. For me, I have been lucky and am blessed to have parents, like I said, that have been together and are still alive. Um, I have been spending an incredible amount of time with my brother, who I have not spent um, as much time with in the past. And we have had, you know, just gotten to an incredible, beautiful place in our relationship. My parents, I have re-gotten to know them as an adult, as someone who's almost turning 30. I have gotten to also know my colleagues closer. I mean, we are all in our living rooms right now. I mean, you, you would be inhuman to not have um, or understand or build a stronger relationship yeah. with the people you are on the other side of the phone with. And so I think it's allowed us to have deeper connections with our clients. Um, I think it's allowed me also the time to reflect and say, okay, Michelle, was this working before? Was this schedule working for you? Was this pace working for you? And what were your dreams working for you before? And so I think it's allowed a, a moment and sense of deep reflection and a refocus on what is important and quite honestly, what is not. It has deeply affected how I work and how I've seen the world, but I think ultimately we will come out stronger because of it. Yeah. And kind of going into obviously your new position, things are changing, but how do you make sure that you're able to lead your team or the people around you in a way that's obviously good for them and good for you during this tough time? Mm. I think empathy. Empathy is incredibly important. I think not jumping to conclusions is really important in this environment. When you send an email to someone and they don't respond for an hour, assuming good intent, right? Like mm -hmm. assuming that this person has two kids, stay-at-home mom, um, or sorry, has a stay-at-home dad, they homeschool their kids, things. Assuming good intent, I think, is number one. Number two is having incredible empathy and meeting people where they are. And it's really important to understand that whatever is your priority potentially is not someone else's priority right now. So for example, I am prioritizing my work life. So I'm fully prioritizing my job. However, someone like I mentioned who has a stay-at-home mom, two kids, and has a stay-at-home husband, she cannot fully prioritize her work. And so having empathy, understanding that what is your priority might not be someone else's, making sure that you're having open dialogue and not relying on written forms of communication is really important. If something is getting heated, hop on a quick call and move on. But, and then the last piece I'll say from a meeting perspective is that before I noticed, you know, you have so many meetings, right? You know, in the world, you have so many meetings. I think it's allowed us to understand what really is important meetings and what aren't and cut those out. Secondly, if a meeting is important, sending over a pre-read for the attendees on the meeting. So outlining the deck, outlining the key points, being really thoughtful in the pre-work. So the meeting is then a discussion and not just a presentation is something I think that we'll continue to move and use coming out of this. So 
Yeah. COVID's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And a question I kind of asked just because I'm interested in it. Obviously, my situation's a little different from most people who have internships. If your team was given an intern right now or started like an intern mm-hmm. program, how would you train them and make sure you give them that experience that per se you loved so much in your first internship experience? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our team does have an intern who is awesome. I think that now is probably the most interesting time to intern at Facebook. You know, I'm not going to lie. You don't get the culture, the colors, the beauty, the in-person happy hours, the getting in corporate housing and community. You know, you don't get that now. Uh, let's just be honest. But the second piece is that I really do think moving forward that the internship experience will be one incredibly important for Facebook in terms of us building a pipeline of future leaders. But secondly, I think the way that we give the interns an experience is by having conversation and by allowing them to listen to calls we're having, to open up discussions that we normally wouldn't have had otherwise, to allow them to have more intimate moments one-on-one with us instead of in this big forum. And then, but I think also when you're an intern, and, and this might not be a popular opinion, but a lot of it is on you to make the experience what you want it to be. And so the most successful interns I've seen have been the ones that say, here's all the amazing information that's at my disposal for the internship. Here's the things that I want to get out of it. I want to understand more about how Facebook is thinking about advertising election integrity and free speech. Here are the proactive things that I'm doing and looking at and then relying on other people or asking other people for color or context to the things and work they've put in. And I think Rebecca, why this series is so inspiring is because there are so many people like you that potentially there, there's so much uncertainty right now. And I think the reality is, is that you are rolling up your sleeves, you're making the most and digging in and asking hard questions and, and providing a forum and outlet for other women to learn from. And you made that, you were proactive about that. No one called you and said you should do this. So I think that characteristic of being proactive, owning your career, not having someone else own it for you is incredibly important in the internship experience or as you think about interning, whether it's remotely or not. That's what I think. Yeah. And I'm going into kind of these uh, questions from other interviewees I've collected for you. So one of the ones I wanted to ask you was actually from an interview I had recently, which is to which extent do you feel luck has played in your career? Oh my gosh. (laughs) So it's interesting. Women, we have a propensity to say, oh my goodness, I was so lucky because I was of this person or because I got this phone call or I applied to this company or it was right place or right time. But I'm going to answer it like a man. So I don't think I was lucky. And here's why. I worked incredibly hard for what I have. I rolled up my sleeves and I did things that people did not want to do. I stayed the extra hour in the office. I did the project that seemed really daunting. I made contacts through LinkedIn or going to a coffee shop with someone that I potentially didn't know or put myself out there. I think you make your own luck and you make the opportunities that are available to you. I absolutely agree that there are some times where it is right place, right time, right hiring, right right moment. And I feel incredibly lucky to be at Facebook right now because I get to have conversations that are incredibly complex, that are incredibly large and daunting. So I feel lucky. But I think in terms of 
how women perceive luck, we are the first ones to say, I'm really lucky because I, I work at a company and I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. It was just pure luck. And that's just not true. And I think that that's my thought on luck is that we work incredibly hard to get what we have. There absolutely is an element of right place and right time, but you create your own luck. You create your own opportunity. If you want to work at a top tier company, go to the alumni directory, go and reach out to a hundred people that work at McKinsey. I use McKinsey as an example because <laughs> I, they, they always tell me no. Whenever, whenever I applied in college, they told me no like 75 times. But if you really want to work at McKinsey, reach out to a hundred people that used to work at McKinsey from the alumni directory. Find mutual connections, secondary connections on LinkedIn, reach out to 50 of those. And then on top of that, apply to every single job you can, whether it's an admin or whether it's a coordinator job to get your foot in the door, roll up your sleeves and do the work. That's what I think. But I do think there in life is an element of right place, right time. And I'm sure in my career that has absolutely happened. Um, it's just hard to pinpoint the exact, exact situation. Yeah. Patrick, he was the one who gave me this question. He was like, I always say that luck plays a part in it, but to a certain extent, if I didn't go out and look and actively like pursue things, I don't think that luck would have happened. So it's really interesting to hear everyone's perspective on that question. And actually, since I asked you a question from an interview, I was wondering if you could give me a question to ask other interviewees that I'm going to have in the future. What scares you the most? Love that. I love that question. Awesome. Maybe that, that might go, but I think that, and the reason why I say that question is because I think a lot of the time we're motivated by fear. Yeah. As I think about, and I dive into this concept of ambition and why I would like to call myself ambitious or driven, a lot of it is from fear, right? Fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of other people not looking at me like I'm a powerful woman. Um, I think that a lot of the positive emotions that we have or the positive characteristics actually are derivative of fear and so are derived from fear. And so for me, at least, um, I have a really interesting relationship with fear. I think as women, you know, we absolutely do. And I think that's, um, it's, it'll be interesting to see where, when your next interviewer answers a question, what they say. Yeah. I mean, personally, at least when we have like group projects and stuff, I'm always like, oh, you guys, you're so, so the natural leader. And like, I'm not the type of person that's like, oh, I want to lead. It's more like, I don't yeah. want to fail and I want to get yeah. this done. So that's yeah. why I'm leading you. <laughs> so yeah. I 100% agree with that question because I feel like to a certain extent, everything extends from fear. Um, and I actually really fortunately enough have that chance to ask you the very last question, which is what are some words of wisdom you could give to students like me, people listening who are in similar situations today? I am going to tell a brief story. My high school basketball coach, Coach Gill, I played basketball all four years in high school. It was never like crazy good, but I, I love basketball and I love the team dynamics. She always said, this was my sophomore year, and we had a really good record as a JV team. And we were like 12 and 0, 13 and 0, and the school had never had a record like this before. But she said, every single game, walk into that gym as if you were 0 and 1. The record doesn't matter. The 13 and 0, the 12 and 0, the 11 and 0, that doesn't matter. What matters right now is you walking into that gym humbly, respecting your opponent but ultimately coming in with a chip on your shoulder. And 
I think that that every game, no matter if the opponent was supposed to be easy or hard, we always walked in the gym with a mentality of we are 0-1. And, and I have a bracelet to this day saying 0-1 because I think it's really important as you find success in your career, as you find your voice, it's really, really easy to get caught up in that. I think always remembering that you are 0-1, whether it's in every meeting, every conversation in your work or in every job application that you are zero and one, I think is important. And then I think the last piece is putting pressure on progress is something that is really important. Put pressure on progress every day. If you're going through the job search and it seems really daunting to find a job, set many goals for yourself, right? So apply and maybe set a goal of, I'm gonna apply for 10 jobs today or I'm gonna do one interview today, or I'm gonna reach out to 10 people today. Setting mini goals like that is really important. But I think the last piece of advice I'll say is why not? <laughs> why not reach for your dreams? Why not be unapologetically yourself? And ultimately having grace and being empathetic towards other people is incredibly important. And pulling others up along the way. So making sure that you didn't get here alone, none of us got here alone, and so having recognition, having humility, and making sure that you understand not only where you came from, but ultimately how that's fueled you into the success that you will eventually have, but never forget that you are 0-1 in every single opportunity you have in life and you'll be just fine. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for jumping on this call with me and letting me have you on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Rebecca. Again, I'm inspired by the work you're doing. I think that this content is absolutely incredible and I'm honored to have supported it. So can't wait to hear about your journey and all the success you'll have. And long story short, that is exactly how my conversation with Michelle went. I hope that you were able to learn something new and that you're staying safe and healthy. A quick shout out to Michelle. Thank you so much for jumping on the call with me and I hope you had a wonderful 30th birthday. And to the listeners... I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you follow at COVID-19 Internship on Instagram and keep listening because there's so much more coming your way.